Well, I'd say it's more comfortable in here. It's you, not as warm as usual. Well, yeah. I mean, right now, I think it's just, it's temperate. It's what I feel mm-hmm. like, you know? And you don't want to be too cold because then you're uncomfortable, but yep. too warm, you're too sleepy or yep. too sweaty. Yeah, which, I mean, we've had we've had times where we've been way too sweaty. We've had times we've been way too cold. I've had to bundle up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, yeah, right now, it's just, just right. It's like the, the three bears, right? You got yes. Not too hot, not too cold. Just right. We're baby bear. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're baby bearing it. And I would say this is exciting time because it's not quite fall, but we're getting some of those days. And I'm thinking about making a soup. That's, that's a good idea. Yeah, you know, get in the kitchen a little bit. And Fred, is something different right now? Do you, this feels different than what we normally do. You know what? It feels loose. Yeah. Loose like a goose. Mm. Loosey goosey, you might say. Yeah, and then I just keep getting hungry because yeah. we're just talking about soups and goose. <laughs> well, I mean, have you ever had a goose soup? No. I don't even know if there is a goose. Is there a goose soup? I'm actually honestly curious. <laughs> but you know what that sounds a lot like to me? What's that? Welcome to State of the Franchise, the podcast that talks about franchises of all shapes, sizes, backgrounds, genres, and types. I am your host, Chef Tom Stadler, here with my co-host this week, the uh, the chef... D- d- what is, like, the top chef? Oh, you see what I did there? Top I saw what you said. I, I thought you were going to call me, like, the chef du jour. I was, that was what I was trying to think of, chef du jour, but that's just soup du jour, right? Chef of the day? Yeah, I'm the chef of the day, just today. Fred Dakin. <laughs> well, you get me riled up right now, okay? You Sorry. Know? You're I'm, head chef, head chef. I like it, head chef. Yeah, there's no, no mice under my head. It's just all me. <laughs> I'm, nope. I'm also, I'm a little testy right now. You want to know why? Why is that? I'm hangry. Oh. Well, I can understand why you're hangry today, Fred, because we are talking about a cooking personality this week. I don't even know if we can go so far as calling him. I mean, he is, he cooks, but he's not necessarily a chef. But maybe we'll have to ask our guest about that. Oh, you were looking at me. Oh, yeah, I got this. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, Tom, uh, our guest. You know him from the JCVD episode, the man with the greatest squats. I was thinking, not the squat. What's the leg thing that JCV does? The splits. The, the splits. splits. Why couldn't I think of splits? The man with the best splits in town, Scott Falmer's here. I'm back, guys, and I'm considering myself the sous chef here of the oh, kind of like you know, mm-hmm. just kind of helping you guys out, kick. You know, like, what can I do? What can I do? I mean, I would almost call you the Iron Chef here today, Scott. I'll, I'll take that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which Iron Chef, man. I, we'll be talking a little bit about Iron Chef because our, our unifying topic today is, of course, uh, Alton Brown, who is a uh, food personality <laughs> of all mm-hmm. sorts. I mean, he's a cinematographer, host. He's a, I mean, just a connoisseur of foods of all kinds, right? There really is, like, no, like, actual, like, bucket he's just the food guy right 
Yeah, and he's he's a special guy. He's different from a lot of these chefs, you know. And I'm learning that as we did our research for this episode. Yeah, I've always been a fan, but I like the salt and brown guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think he also prides himself on not being a chef or not being labeled like that. So he find found his own lane, and he does what he does well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it makes a lot more sense knowing that, and I'm sure we'll get into more of this, that he wasn't a traditional chef. Just because I don't see Alton Brown, like, in the back of a kitchen, like, sweating it up with the rest of them. I can see Guy Fieri back there, like, you know, making pancakes or something. But I don't 100%. believe, like, I've, I would believe Alton Brown has cooked on a line before. But I still love him, and I still think he knows a lot about cooking. <laughs> Yeah, he is definitely a very interesting person to talk about. And certainly when we started bringing up the idea of discussing a personality and you guys threw out Alton Brown, like he's somebody I knew of, but I didn't know intimately. And I was very happy to go on this journey because I have a lot to say about what I've seen so far when I really got to sit down and actually look at some of the stuff he's done. And it's it's cool. Like, I think he's a very interesting person and I'm, I'm very excited to talk about this today. But I guess before we really dive in, you know, Scott, since you were the one who even brought up Alton Brown as an idea, you know, where did you even kind of first encounter him as far as watching any of the shows? Yeah, I recall back in the 99s or 2000s, um, I think I had just discovered cooking at the time. Like, you know, like you maybe you got your first job. Taco Bell puts on the pounds. Uh, (laughs) Rice aroni is not nutritious. Yeah. Uh, And you're like, I should learn how to cook. Um, and I remember, I think my roommate had like a moose wood cookbook, uh, at the time, Emeril Agassi like had primetime. Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, the show. Is he the and, bam guy? Yeah. The bam. Okay. Yeah. Garlic and bam. Yeah. You'll know Emeril Agassi, right? He's got his own food. He knows how to make this good stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I know him from seasoning packets. I feel more than yeah, anything. He's probably got it. Like he's a, the guy from the seasoning aisle. He looks like he's out of Sopranos to be honest. <laughs> and he may have like a roast or two now. That right. his name on. Um, so yeah. And I also recall, uh, I don't know. I think I remember, like, I, for a while, then I moved out, and then I was on my own, and I couldn't afford cable. But I remember, like, going to my parents' house during the holidays, and that was, like, the original binge-watching. Mm. Like, the Food Network would just put on all day Elton Brown, mm. and that's just what you did. And you just watched the cooking show, and you are entertained because it was like a sitcom, yet cooking and, and informative too. So was that Good Eats then that you were talking yeah, about? Yeah, that was original Good Eats uh, episodes that I believe is where I uh, recall really nice. coming in contact with the... And I don't think there's a better vibe than going home to your parents to watch cable at the holidays and watching cooking shows yeah. around the holidays. Like, it doesn't get better than that. Well, and I think it's something about the way that food kind of brings family together anyway, right? So it's like, it's natural to just have that feeling or that vibe of like going there and it's like, ooh, Food Network's on in the background, right? You got a little Giada at home or something like that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, no one's saying, hey, turn off the channel. I'm sick of this. You know, like, oh, <laughs> right. what, what's the next episode? What are they cooking next? How yeah. do that? I literally remember going uh, just on vacation with my family. I think it was last summer. And we went to like the Wisconsin Dells and we were like back in the hotel at night or whatever. And someone threw on like Food Network. And I swear to God, we watched that shit for like two and a half, three hours. Hell yeah. <laughs> just rotating through shows. Yeah. Or that or just give me like a two hour block of Chopped and I'll be set. Yeah. <laughs> oh, chopped is something. I mean, yeah. Elton Brown definitely get, made his way around too. I mean, he showed up. Um, well, I mean, he had his own show, Good Eats, what we just talked about. That was on Food Network. Uh, he's been on 
Iron Chef America, which we mentioned before. Cutthroat Kitchen, he also was the host of. And Cutthroat Kitchen is wow. <laughs> <laughs> I cannot wait to dive into to that because I feel like as much as we're going to be talking about Alden Brown, we have to talk about the concept of that mm-hmm. show too. Well, I always say Good Eats is kind of like Bill Nye the Science Guy, like but food, and then Cutthroat Kitchen's like Saw but food. <laughs> That's literally, literally what my fiance said when we were watching Good Eats. She goes, "This is like food, Bill Nye." the science guy mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just so funny was that where your first exposure was to him fred for me it was more because i didn't grow up with cable either uh i had a pretty i had a pretty long relationship with good eats and good food i'm talking about just the literal good eats <laughs> uh my mom was always a great chef my grandmother was a great cook and uh so i always had really good food around nice. uh but when it came to like cooking shows i never really had cable till i got older and i kind of knew Alden brown at first from just popping up on shows to be a judge and that's a very different alton brown than you get on his shows i feel For sure. i feel he has a character in him where he's like the snooty cook guy and he'll come on to shows and like almost be better than the show and that was my initial opinion about alton brown is he's this snooty southern chef who you know has opinions about cooking and this and that <laughs> but then you get around to good eats which i got around to it in the pandemic and like the pandemic was like my eat pray love moment with food like i did so much different types of cooking i watched so many cooking shows and good eats is the only one where you actually learn something you know like there yeah. aren't many cooking shows it's either you're just watching a competition and you're not really learning technique or you're learning how to cook one very specific thing you know yeah and i do i love all those things but there was something about watching good eats where like i remember during the pandemic having a pen and paper and like taking notes and stuff wow. it all went in one ear and out the other like college did but i just love that that's there is kind of like an encyclopedia of knowledge on how to cook from simple things like a roast chicken to complicated things like making jerky at home yeah and he definitely makes it in a very digestible way do you guys find that too yeah and i even think he mentioned on one of the interview shows i was watching is like he had trouble in school learning stuff but he knew like if you present it like in a comedic way Mm -hmm. people absorb it better and will pay attention so i think that's what he achieved with good eats was a way to present science that was uh entertaining yeah and you can see it too because it's just there's there's i was surprised about entertainment value (laughs) i was watching good eats i mean just to give my background for real quick I didn't, like I said, I never really encountered Elton Brown. Like, I'd seen him as a judge on a show or, you know, or just maybe, like, yeah, popping up on, like, an episode in the background on Food Network. But I would never, like, zone in on him be like, okay, that's who that is. But, yeah, watching, like, episodes of Good Eats for, like, probably the first time really sitting out and watching one. I mean, it's kind of like right now how I'm talking. It's like, he very much talks to you very quickly, right? And he mm-hmm. answers things in an entertaining way. And he has a way of telling you how much this food means to him. You have to respect the butter. You have to respect the punch <laughs> bowl. It's like, okay. <laughs> you know? It also reminds me a lot of Danny Elfman, too. <laughs> <laughs> he does have some Danny Elfman energy. And he does look like the guy from Mythbusters, the one dude. <laughs> <laughs> and another similar vibe, I feel. <laughs> yeah, really kind of the same time, too. Too, I think when Mythbusters came on, but um, yeah, I mean, what is it though? You guys think made him resonate for twenty years? Was it just that style that he came at us with? 
I always kind of felt like I was thinking back to him. It's he is not a host, and when Good Eats was pitched, he did he just wanted to direct it. Mm-hmm. He didn't even want to be in it. So what you see on camera, and I know from our improv background, it's real. It's not scripted. It's not pre thought out. It's what he. It's a stream of thought. It's him thinking. Is that for so real? I, they didn't yeah. have any scripts written for some of that stuff. <laughs> well, I mean, he wrote uh, wrote scripts, but I'm saying that's um, it's his voice, right? You know, like um, yeah, they had a team written on it, but I mean, that it's his personality coming out. He mm. didn't audition for it. You know, it was thrown on him, so it's his authentic self. Uh, you know, kind of on camera. Yeah, which you can see, right? Like he's very much his voice is in that show, and I think his voice is in a lot of. I mean, even Cutthroat Kitchen. Like, I'm mm-hmm. like, it's kind of snarky, even in nature, and yep. you really feel him in that show. So I guess maybe we should talk a little bit about some of that history, knowing that he has been around for a bit, right? He was born on July 30th of uh, 1962. So he's pushing 61 at this point. Or no, he'd be, he would be 61, I guess, <laughs> at the time of our recording. And... Uh, he was born in Los Angeles, California, which is interesting knowing that he is somebody who is known as a Southern personality, right? Yeah, I thought he was Georgia through and through. Yeah. yeah same here. But no, then he, he moved down there, um, and his dad was the owner of a radio station, WRWH, and the publisher of a newspaper called White County News, which is a little... It sounds like Georgia to me. Uh, <laughs> I was gonna say for for Georgia, White County sounds kind of interesting. They're they're kind of all that. Well, they're all White County. Sadly, when, that was my that was when that was what it was like when I was there. I, I'm certain of it. Other than date, of course, which we mm-hmm. encountered in the elections, and everybody knows by heart now. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he studied film at the University of Georgia in the early 1980s and got his start in television as a cinematographer for music videos, including the one I love by. R.E.M. Guys, a fan of R.E.M.? I, I have been. Yeah. yeah. I'm fine with R.E.M. Yeah. Just mm-hmm. not, not like big fan, but don't dislike them. Um, I like some of their songs, but I also like, there's a type of person who really likes R.E.M. And like those people, I don't like them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I would say I like the R.E.M. pop songs that are on the radio. Yeah. Don't go deeper than that. Yeah, that's a good point. I don't even know the video for the one I love. Like, I know uh, Losing My Religion. So that's pretty wild. I almost said, aren't they the same song? <laughs> no, I was more into the um, the the one that's from, like, The Man on the Moon. If you believe, I yeah. put a man on the moon. I have a quick aside about The Man on the Moon just before we move on. Do you guys watch that Jim Carrey documentary where they, like, talked about how he got lost in the character? Yeah. There was, like, a moment at the end of that, I don't know if you remember this, Fred, where he was, like, talking about, like, his moment of, like, like kind of, like, coming to Jesus, and he was just, like, almost, like, equating himself with Jesus, and he's just going on, like, this four-minute rant, and I remember just watching with a friend, and I finally just turned to him after, like, three and a half minutes, like, what the fuck is he talking about? Like, he's been ranting for three minutes about... Some, like, otherworldly bullshit. And I'm like, no wonder this fucking guy got this documentary made about it. Mm-hmm. Well, I, what's crazy about this is the same thing happened on the Sonic 2 set, too. <laughs> <laughs> James Marsden was like, I don't want to be in this movie nearly as much as I was in the last one. <laughs> so after he set out to produce his own cooking show um, when he was uh, 
done doing his music video cinematography. In preparation to do a cooking show, he enrolled in the New England Culinary Institute and graduated from there in 1997. Uh, he said he was a poor science student in high school and college, but he focused on the subject to understand the underlying processes of cooking, which was a good way to go about it. So he eventually got his show greenlit, and the pilot for Good Eats first aired in July 1998 on PBS, member station WTTW in Chicago. So after the pilot was picked up, Food Network ended up buying the, the pilot and put that show on uh, their network in July of 1999. And the show has run now for 16 seasons. So we talked a little bit about Good Eats already, but I mean, I think saying this is kind of like Bill Nye, I mean, it really does have every episode is so uniquely themed, right? I don't know. What is it about Good Eats, though, that like really made it need to come back for 16 seasons? I, th- I, th- I think maybe the cooking channel was light on content and not to say, <laughs> I don't, I mean, not to knock the show, uh, uh-huh. but there, yeah, I don't think until, I don't know the early days of the Food Network, but it definitely took a while. Like Alton was ahead of the curve on his show. Yeah. And then eventually these celebrity chefs, I guess, started, uh, you know, doing that same thing, but in more of the style of what Julia Child made maybe had done Mm -hmm. you know just showing oh i'm gonna cook a recipe all of a sudden it's done yeah you guys big jc fans Mm, i can't say i'm a huge i i I struggle with what she cooks i like i'm never gonna make that oh (laughs) please i i just made a brief bourguignon of hers that was simple as hell now were you watching episodes with julia child or are you like reading her books uh, i i had her recipe i have the scribd app which is like a book audiobook app and they actually had a selections from her original book which is hard to find the original i want to get one of those for like my book collection but uh no her stuff's pretty easy to follow that okay. was her whole thing was empowering people to cook that's for a different episode Okay. That's something else Alton Brown says a lot in his episodes. Yeah, he does say that. We'll save that for later. <laughs> I'll yeah. speak to the longevity of this show. It's because I think he picks a specific type of dish, and there's just so much type of food. Like, the first episode is roast chicken, but you can do chicken wings, and he has. You can do grilled chicken. You can do, you know, chicken from around the world, you know? I think that's why it has so many episodes, and I also think that's why it has the longevity is because it's the only show that actually shows you how to cook other than those shows that show you how to do, like, one dish at a time. Your uh, Jacques Pepin or your Barefoot Contessa, which I have yeah. no time for. <laughs> I don't want to be thinking about feet while you're cooking. Hey, New name. Sorry. They just want to cook comfortably. Ah, right? I just don't want to. I don't want to see foot when I think about food. Yeah. <laughs> You know, it was interesting, though, that we talked about Mythbusters before, right? And kind of being around the same time. And it was kind of an innovative show in that it was sort of like, okay, you've heard all these old wives' tales or, like, these, like, urban legends that this can happen or that's this, you know? And it's like they went out and, like, seek to kind of do something educational. And and I think you, you nailed it before, too, when you're talking about, like, there's... N- really no other cooking shows that get into the education. You know, they'll spend a little time like, these uh, these wine grapes grow in wine. It's like, okay, we've heard about wine from everything possible. There's movies devoted to it. There's series devoted to wine. But, like, who's telling you how butter, like, came to be, right? Mm-hmm. Like, it's... Um, and I think that's what's so interesting that, you know, 
he dives into the history and he makes it like an interesting way to consume it. You know, we were talking about how he's such an entertainer, but I, I think about like, even like great British bake off, like for one season, I remember they would like go and explore the origins of a dish. And then they were like, well, we don't have time for that. We need to cover all the, the personalities, which I think that season kind of suffered. And then I was like, I don't feel like I know the people who are doing <laughs> this. Right. So it's like, it's nice to have a show that does kind of do that piece of it. Cause it's like all these other reality shows with these cooks. It's like, you want to know the cook. Right. Yeah. And I also feel like some of the other cooking shows, like you can't relate to the personality because I can't cut that quick, you mm-hmm. know, and where he's like, no, 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 you don't have to do it like they do. Just do it this way. And uh, you don't need all those tools. All you need is the tongs. Yeah. You know, I was like, oh, OK, yeah. Yeah. You kind of buy in to the theory. Mm-hmm. Uh, to you know that hey I can do this too this isn't hard yeah. kind of like what I just said with Julia Child like yeah why do I think that you know like mm-hmm. oh I just don't uh, trust myself <laughs> yeah I would say uh, say another reason why it has longevity is what kind of you were saying was it's a science show a cooking show an engineering show and a comedy show at the, all the same time yeah so you have people like I feel. You know, like a grand, my grandfather could watch it and see him build a rig to dry jerky and get some laughs out of that. Or just the history aspect he might like. I'll watch it to learn cooking tips. Or I just like watching food being cooked on screen. Yeah. Like, I'll watch these shows where they don't get into it because I enjoy it. It's comforting. But most of the time when I'm watching a cooking show, I want to pick up tips that I can use in the kitchen. Sure. And I think that's what's interesting. Even me, I'm not a big cook, like, on my own. So when I watch a cooking show, I'm always like, okay, you guys are very good at this. You have good technique. I can see that. You're dedicated. I don't have the patience for some of that, and I don't trust myself to do any of that sometimes. But then I was watching a couple episodes of Good Eats. Like, even just him making, like, a like a, a, a punch, like, out of, like, all these different mixers. And I was like, well, that's not so hard. And I started, I was like, you know, I think I'm going to make this. Like, it's mm-hmm. like the first time I could watch a cooking show. I'm like, I think I'm actually going to attempt this. Like, yeah. As we revisit this topic and I picked up some books from the library, it's like, why, why, why don't I try? You know, I got inspired to like, you know, cook different dishes or add something different, you mm-hmm. know? Uh, so just, just watching the show can inspire you. I think. Absolutely. And so he did start writing a couple of books. You were just mentioning that, Scott. When did he end up doing that? Uh, I, boy, I think, didn't he have like, I think he has like 12 books mm-hmm. offhand. I know one he did, uh, like Fred said, you know, like he's got a hardware book where he will show you how to build different types of uh, cooking. I know one of the good eats, he did like a, a Japanese version of a cold brew system using two liter bottles. Oh, wow. You know, so, was, you know, to that thing, I was like, oh, man, I could I could have that. It's like a $200 like coffee brew machine where you can just, mm-hmm. you know, suck suck down some A&Ws over the weekend and uh, yeah. you can make one. It does look like, yeah, his first book was I'm Just Here for the Food, Food and Heat Equals Cooking from 2002. So he's started, yeah, basically exactly 20 years ago. I'd I'd like to comment on what Fred said. He was taking notes during the show. Actually, if you pick up his... His uh, book on the shows, it, it's uh, like a review of that. Oh, so wow. then, so then uh, you don't, you know, like what you may not have picked up in the show, you can just refer to it in the book. Yeah, <laughs> Santa Claus, if you're listening. <laughs> <laughs> Looks like he does have like five or six Good Eats related books. 
Yeah, like the early years, the middle years, the later years. So obviously those came out, well, <laughs> 10 years ago. <laughs> That's so funny. He's like right like the later years and he's got <laughs> however many seasons to make for so yeah. But yeah, it's definitely I I mean, it was a cooking show that I didn't realize I needed, right? Or just I mean, and I guess calling it a cooking show is not it's not doing it justice. It's right. it's a food show. Mm-hmm. Like it it kind of helped def- define food network even though half of food network or th- three-fourths of it is actual like cooking competitions or somebody who's teaching you how to cook, right? And I don't know. There's something about food competition shows and stuff. They're like it's it's entertaining, but then at some point they do all start to blend a little bit together. For sure. Yeah, yeah. I like I like it when a cooking competition show adds layers, like a Cutthroat Kitchen, or even I'm not a big Guy Fieri fan, but I do really like his show Guy's Grocery Games, mm-hmm. where they're in a giant shopping or giant grocery store, and they have to shop based on themes and then cook with their shopped items. I like it when you add like a couple different things like that, but just like some of these straight up cooking competition shows can kind of seem samey after a while. I was thinking of trying to define that, and it's like, I like food puzzle shows, cooking shows, mm-hmm. competition shows, where like they're presented with a challenge or a puzzle to solve, and then you're watching them solve that puzzle. Yeah. Yeah, last night I was watching a, a guy's grocery games where they could only buy items that started with like a B and an S or something. Ooh. It was very interesting, them grabbing the things. Of course, it'd be like I'm buying black garlic, and then but ah. then they would use the like second word sometimes. But still, it was pretty inventive and cool. Yeah, but I mean, it's it's definitely like at some point you realize all these chefs can cook, right? It's like what can we do to tie one hand behind their back and try to make them, you know, have to you know do something one handed? And it's like, oh yeah, are mm-hmm. they still as good, or can they just fall apart when this stuff comes at them? And that actually gets us to our next series. So in 2004, uh, he started appearing on Iron Chef America, Battle of the Masters. So that was actually the second attempt to adapt to the Japanese cooking show. But he did end up on um, more episodes of Iron Chef America. And Iron Chef America is... I mean, Iron Chef in general. Let's just talk about Iron Chef in general. Like, this show obviously... It shattered international barriers, right? It's oh, for something sure. that's resonated in multiple countries. It broke it broke borders. There there you go. <laughs> I don't know why it took me so It was a phenomena, as I would mm, as phenomena? I phenomena. Phenomena. Yeah. It is I mean, is it not still kind of in some ways? A, I mean, all this cooking there this the phase of cooking shows has definitely gone down a little, but I feel like 2005 to 2010, cooking shows were at the peak of their power. Like, they were everywhere. And Iron Chef at that time in America was huge, I remember. Yeah, for sure. And I think he's he was kind of the right person to host a show like that. Because it's like you need somebody who can be sort of like a sports commentator as this like competition is going on. But... It's just like, I don't know, he brought like a different type of energy than I even remembered the first time I watched Iron Chef. And I also noticed too, like all the contestants knew him, mm-hmm. like possibly watching Good Eats maybe. Yeah. <laughs> um, so they all kind of like took his opinion when he would come around or, or 
uh, acknowledged him. Yeah, so I haven't watched a ton of episodes of Iron Chef, but the basic conceit, right, is that, like, you have a challenger come in, right, and then they get to challenge the Iron Chef or one of the Iron Chefs, and then you're they're given each an ingredient, and then they have to try and, like, to beat each other in the competition, right? Am I missing anything on that? Mm-hmm. But I think that I'm not super familiar. I did see that one episode where the guy killed the host. What? Yeah, it was like a big sword fight between like the host guy and maybe it was a gunfight. I don't know. And I think he ended up get, getting killed. You know what? That was think- John John Wick 3. <laughs> <laughs> I get confused because it's the same guy. Because you were talking about they have a challenger come on, they challenge someone, and I didn't make the connection. I know I was just out here. <laughs> I was like, "Did this and, happen?" On- and I was gonna bring that up, and then I forgot I was gonna bring that up, <laughs> and then I sat here being like, "What is he talking about? How could you forget Parabellum?" <laughs> oh, and he's so good in Parabellum too. It's just funny, like, but I just like I was so focused on on. He was also in Street Fighter. I don't know if he right. What? What? <laughs> the Iron Chef? No, nah. the, the mask. Look, we don't talk about Street Fighter on this podcast. <laughs> we've been getting, we have we, to, we have to watch far too much more Batman to even begin talking about that. <laughs> We're not going to name names, but uh, somebody's been badgering us a bit about wanting to do some Street Fighter. But it is a good segue from you coming on and doing Jean Claude Van Damme and talking about the fact that he is going to be voicing Johnny Cage in the next Mortal Kombat, mm. which is very exciting. Yes, Mark Dacascus yes. is the, the chairman on <laughs> Iron Chef America, while Alton Brown is the uh, the commentator, I suppose. So, I mean, I don't know. I guess he's not a host of sorts, but he is certainly your, I don't know, your mater d. <laughs> yeah, because they have, like, the guy who's kind of, like, the host, the, the guy, gentleman you just said. And then they have, like, chef people, too. Mm-hmm. And that's who gets challenged at the end. Yeah, right. And it's definitely uh, it's definitely a very interesting show because I definitely I can see why it does feel like you know it's like oh, okay here are these like unproven's coming after these master chefs as we were kind of joking about at the beginning of the podcast right and like Bobby Flay is constantly on this show <laughs> I, I was going through all the episodes just on <laughs> Max to see I'm like okay who who are the who are the competitions against just everybody's coming for Flay. <laughs> <laughs> they they all want to. Then he had to make the show beat Bobby Flay. Yeah, everyone wants to come for me. I can't help it. <laughs> That's what Bobby Flay sounds like. Uh, on a side note, what, what if like us three were the food testers instead of like actual like restaurant owners? Wouldn't that be a little bit more entertaining? Like I I don't know. This guy who just threw more ketchup on, I think, tastes better. (laughs) (laughs) I always wanted to write a sketch where it's like you have two really mean judges, like, you know, how they are and really picky and just have a one guy like, well, I haven't eaten all day. This is great. (laughs) And they're just giving it to us. You guys should should really think where your meals are coming from. You know, like more back there. This all you plated. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Like, this is just a tiny dish. And man, I just need. Yeah. Can I lick the spoons or those already been cleaned? (laughs) You definitely need like two snooty. European judges, though, too. Like, <laughs> Can I Venmo you? That was really good. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. 
pretty funny. The compliments to the chef. Oh, that was to you. <laughs> oh, compliments to you. Uh, speaking of taste testing, I know we kind of blew past the whole book part, Scott, but you you brought in um, something for us to taste test today. I did. Uh, I was inspired by the books, like I had said, and there was this recipe called the Saltine Hack, mm. and it's basically taking you know plain old saltine crackers and then just adding a little hot sauce to them yeah well i think this is a perfect time in the show to take a little snack break if you will and maybe test out what you brought in for us today yeah we don't want to mess with our listeners with mesothelioma it's true <laughs> so the first first one you made scott which is this It'd be the lighter one. It's the, I guess it was just butter or clarified butter, which was a whole experience making. I thought I had like burnt butter. Uh, then I had from Menards, like you usually do, I had some Frank's red hot sauce, oh. uh, like a three gallon container. Yet it only requires one tablespoon. So uh, for this recipe, though, so this is basically, were these recipes that he had on the show, or was this just that he wrote these specifically for the book? Well, actually, uh, he released a series, web series called uh, Pantry Raid mm. uh, during the pandemic, and that's where I had seen it. And then, yeah, I just discovered it uh, both on his website and in a book I had. Uh, so I was like, oh, I, I got to try this. Yeah, we'll have to um, give it a nibble here. That is mustard you're tasting. Uh, that was part of the recipe, too. I think I need to have another one. This this one looks extra seasoned here. Yeah. Yeah, I was going to say, I don't know that I got enough of the seasoning on that last bite. Yeah, it's missing the hot sauce. Uh, last night when I baked them, the hot sauce came through more. Today it seems like the mustard's coming through more. Mm-hmm. I would say it does taste... I feel you've elevated the saltine to a buttery ritz almost. Uh, with a little a bit point. of a pepper in the back, which I like. Definitely. Yeah, it's it's good. I think I get, yeah, more of the, the mustard, like you're saying. I get that little spice in there. Next up, so when I made that, I'm like, this is just a hot wing recipe. So I had actually some hot wing sauces. So next is a Frank's Red Hot Smoky Hot Barbecue. Ooh. Uh, and I just loaded loaded these up, and okay. I didn't even bake right, so that's why oh, I'm no. a little sticky. Well, we'll go have you guys take a sh- uh, bite first. I had the I had one of the butter ones that was popping with flavor, and it was really good. Ooh, that's what I discovered. It's almost like either I didn't count out the crackers right, or it needed more seasoning. Mm. So yeah, I like the hot sauce one. It's giving me Old Bay. So as I made three crackers, and one of them was a mystery cracker, and I know the. History of Old Bay on the show. What? And I made an Old Bay uh, saltine cracker. Oh my gosh, it's it's bussin'. Yeah, I, I really I I loaded it. So that's, I dumped it. That's the one that's kind of like more dark brown. Yeah, more dark brown, but not sticky. One. I ate the wrong one, but I'm glad I did because yeah. oh man, <laughs> this is a class act right here. Yeah. All right. I'm gonna have to take a picture of all of these. Make sure the listeners can get a good look. So the Old Bay one is pretty good. I'm going to try it myself. So I'll let you guys talk amongst yourselves. So, uh, Fred, there's another ingredient, and I was just uh, with the Old Bay. It's a taco seasoning. I don't know if you can pick it out, but I was just looking for, uh, in my fridge, another type of sauce, and Mm -hmm. that's what was I had. So it's Old Bay taco, which I was like, I'll try it and see what they say, but I don't. 
think that's a classic combination. No, the first nibble, you definitely get the Old Bay. And then the aftertaste, I think you get a little more of the taco mm-hmm. seasoning. You agree? Or taco yeah. sauce. Yeah. So I don't know if I missed you saying this. How do you go from cracker? How do you apply this stuff to the cracker and keep its crunch? Uh, I did the wing technique. I threw it in a big old metal bowl and then just did the shuffle. Uh, and then I had like a spatula, so anything that was up on the bowl, I went back down and then just kind of, uh, you know, shook the crackers. So, so that's I think that's with the there's not enough sauce. That's what happened with the first hot one, the, mm. hot, the hot wing ones. I would say is like they just weren't sauced enough. I think I needed to put more sauce in the bowl. Yeah, very possible. Well, no, that was very good, Scott. Thank you for making those for us. But yeah, so after. Alton Brown. So we talked about he made he wrote some books and then he went to do his uh, his narrator duties on Iron Chef America. So after he did that, he did actually start a different show that was called Feasting on Asphalt, and this explored the history of eating on the move. So Brown and his crew would travel around the U.S. Uh, via motorcycle, and it was a four part miniseries about the history of road food. Uh, so he samples food from along his route. He includes a history of food segment documenting his famous road trips and interviews, many of the like, foodies he's met on his like travels. And this uh, series premiered on Food Network on July 29th, 2006. Have you guys watched the show? I haven't seen this show. It looks sounds good. Mm-hmm. Uh, I did not was able to find it either, but I did have a book from the library. Oh. And for your uh, pickle aficionados, there is a recipe for Kool-Aid pickles Ooh. in this book. Snap. And I was just trying to find out what city that originated from. Oh, it's yeah. somewhere along the Mississippi River. Maybe I can try to find that. So he wrote a book about his travels? Yeah. Oh, yeah. that's awesome. Um, ooh, I see tamales. Oh, and there's the pickles. Yeah, what does he count as road food? Uh, I mean, look at, I mean, if you imagine like Route 66 or something, it's mm-hmm. just mm-hmm. shacks yeah. along the way that, you know, probably have been restaurants in generations for, oh, wow. for years and just uh, are just like, you know, family recipes that the whole town enjoys. I always want to do that. Go out west, hit some spots, you know, mm-hmm. find some new good eats. Yeah, good. Ooh-hoo. I'm doing the Leo thing right now. (laughs) You know, it's funny, too, because I feel like when you do go road tripping, and I just did a road trip this year, you don't necessarily find yourself stopping at a lot of cafes. You sort of lean on a lot of fast food restaurants. But when you're, like, stopped in a city, then you seek out whatever's around there. But, man, some of those greasy spoon diners you see on the road, sometimes I'm like, I bet those are really good. That's the downside of bringing the dog with us when we usually do our drives. Yeah. You don't want to leave her, you know, inside looking through the window at us like, is that good? Is that good? <laughs> is that is that a, is that a good diet? diner driving and dive? <laughs> <laughs> Diners need, like, a retractable roof so that if it's a nice day, they can just sort of, like, open it up a little bit. Maybe put a net on the top so <laughs> Yeah, we're bugs out. spoiled in Bayview. You go to a place with your dog, they bring out like a water bowl. Yeah. <laughs> Drop a little treat on the edge. Yeah. <laughs> I say this would be my next. I'm surprised I didn't watch this show. It must have been when I didn't have cable. But that's like one of my second favorite types of food 
media is when they go somewhere mm. and you get to see what a region's food might be. Uh, that's why I always like the Man versus Food show yeah. with Adam Richman. You know, you mm-hmm. maybe go to a college town. And you just see like their biggest burger, and you're like, <laughs> "Dang, I need to go there, yeah, you know, and, and try that burger." Like, how many eggs were on it? Eight. Whoa. Which is so funny because they did one in Milwaukee, and like they picked the most random restaurants. They went to Red Rock Saloon here, and it felt like they made up a bullshit challenge that like they don't regularly have. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that's always the thing. Like, I know diners, drive-ins, and dives came here, and they went to. Least what's a uh, comet, which was kind of yeah. cool, but then they went somewhere else that I was like, huh, <laughs> you know, like I don't what Ma Fisher's that's not where they went, but I mean, that would maybe be a good suggestion, yeah, <laughs> like that's the vibe I feel of the show. I don't really watch that show, but I do know that there is an app that has all those restaurants, so if you are oh, traveling, right. you can hit these diners. Drive ins and dives, diners, drive ins <laughs> and dives. Can I make another uh, suggestion? There's this, uh, Food competition couple. They moved to Wisconsin. Uh, her name is Katina Eats Kilos, mm. and her husband is Randy uh, somebody. But they moved to Wisconsin and started doing Wisconsin specific challenges, Ooh. food challenges. So she, she she hit up stuff around like Janesville or you know uh, up in Green Bay. She was hitting like uh, and and it's a newer show. Uh, so you can kind of see f- more authentic food challenges in Wisconsin. Yeah. I'd like to see that. Me too. And she's just a tiny little girl. I don't know how she eats, but it's um, it's entertaining. Oh, it's always the <laughs> smallest people that will always take Have down the yeah. most food, 100%. Uh, but yeah, I think it would definitely be good. I mean, we're, we're recording this before Top Chef is uh, airing um, from their Milwaukee season, but... I'm very curious to see what restaurants they end up picking because I've seen definitely on like the Instagram of some of the hosts and uh, that they've gone to like cops and they've gone to like uh, Leon's and they've gone to like a couple other staples in the city. But I'm wondering if maybe they're going to give maybe a little more love to like places that don't need to be, you know, challenge specific. Right. Mm -hmm. So just come to the Euro stand. (laughs) (laughs) It's not that great, but it's special to me. Oh, but Oakland Euro. Oh, yeah. I hope I hope in an episode they have to go like work at Oakland Euros because I bet that would be pretty awesome. <laughs> they have to work at Oakland Euros and they have to serve me after I've been drinking all night. That's the challenge. <laughs> That'd be fantastic. So getting back to Alton Brown, after a little aside here. In 2013, he began hosting a little co- cooking competition series called Cutthroat Kitchen. Uh, so this was on the Food Network, and in each episode, four chefs are given $25,000 with which they are to bid on items that can be used to hinder their opponent's cooking, such as confiscating ingredients that those chefs want to use or forcing them to use unorthodox tools like a, a kitchen sink or, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, or like a pipe. Um, so three chefs are eliminated one by one, and the winner keeps all the unspent money as the day's prize. And so this uh, premiered on August 11th, 2013. You guys think about Cutthroat Kitchen? I'm not a cooking competition fan, but yeah. I do find Elton entertaining in this because he seems to really enjoy uh, making these cooks challenged. I think even in a recent Facebook post, like uh, I guess it's being now UK is having a show, and he like was like, "Well, good luck trying to be match mine." So I think he took a lot of pride in that show, and it kind of shows. Definitely. That's very interesting you mentioned that, too. It does kind of have, like, an English vibe to it, in a way. Mm, Taskmastery. Yeah. Ooh, it does a little bit. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. And 
that would be kind of fun doing like a cooking competition that is like Taskmaster. That we're not on coulda, woulda, shoulda yet, Fred. Nah, Hold hey, your water. Hey, <laughs> hey, I'm just talking here. <laughs> yeah. What do you think of this show? You watch a lot of it? I don't watch a lot of it, but I will throw it on and it's enjoyable. Generally, uh, a lot of the streaming services, you know, the wonderful, nice streaming services we all enjoy that has everything that we need at all times. <laughs> they, uh, they'll they sometimes dump new episodes of the show, and I'll always catch the hot... From October to December, I like to watch all the themed episodes of any cooking show. Yeah. So though that's generally, if I'm watching that show, it's a themed like holiday episode. Yeah, and I think it's a good one just to throw on if you are just ever in like a mood for something that is completely wacky. Because the couple of things that I watched in uh, on <laughs> Cutthroat Kitchen, man, I, I just I'm like, how do they even get this inventive of like filling a sink with like molasses in order to make molasses cookies? Like I'm like, this is this is ridiculous. Like, but it was it was fun. It was fun as hell, and I was laughing my ass off. Like, <laughs> yeah, I think I, I saw that same episode. I giggled a few times, but I also felt bad yeah. for the contestants. I was like, oh, he can't make his famous cookies. I was really hoping that that guy would pull it out though too. After he got stuck with like that, and then he had to like walk around with like molasses jugs on his feet. <laughs> and I do like he gets good uh, guest judges, like other good food personality people. Oh yeah, yeah, like he gets all the people I like because I always I know I keep saying this. I'm not a Guy Fieri fan. I like his circle of people he gets. Like uh, I can't think of their any of their names right now, of course, but they're all the guest hosts on all of Cutthroat Kitchen. Yeah, and I, I just love that circle of people. It's like a mix of food critics and chefs, and I just love that. Yeah, and I think it is such an interesting spot for him to be in to not really have a defined role. It's like I am somebody who hosts shows, or I am a historian, or I am not. You know, he can pretty much be anything. Which a lot of these like guest chefs do anyway, right? Like they all will go on other people's shows. They'll be taste testers or they'll be like, they'll teach somebody a technique or whatever, you know, or it's like, oh, I'm going to let you like be in my, my restaurant for the night or something like that. Right. And it's just, but I feel like he's just can fit so many different hats that like, yeah, he just like is like the food network go-to guy. <laughs> right. And his personality definitely fits for cutthroat kitchen. He is just seems like he's got like, I don't know. Bundles he, of energy. He did claim that's a character he's playing. Oh, so right? I don't know. It might, it might be a heightened version of himself, but not. I mean, if people are judging Alton on that, uh, I mean, that's that he's playing a character. Yeah. Just, just wanted to say. I would say his cutthroat character is kind of the vibe he'll have when he shows up on other shows, though. It's weird. Like he'll have that kind of like cut off. Then you watch Good Eats or something. He's very like personable. Well, and isn't that kind of the same way with a lot of people, right? Like, Gilbert Godfrey never... He never talked like this all the time, right? Like, I'm sure in his personal life, he was totally normal, you know? Or you had Stephen Colbert, who's always playing... I mean, his name isn't even Colbert, right? It's Colbert. Like, <laughs> So, I mean, it does not a surprise that, like, okay, he's defined a personality, and he's going to play that, right, on all these shows. Um, and I think during the pandemic, uh, I also discovered uh, his web series every Tuesday with his wife. Mm, they yes. would just cook in their uh, kitchen. Um, so uh, you you saw his personality there. And what I loved about that show is like his his kitchen. He cooked like the way I would cook. You know, like what's the next ingredient? Oh, I'll get it from the fridge. 
oh, I don't have a measuring cup for it. I'll just cut off this much. Oh, like, I oh, that I cook like that, you know, <laughs> versus uh, on a TV show where it's all like pre-measured and you're like, they got perfect ramekins and they yeah. just dump them in. I'm yeah. like, well, I'm not going to take the time to do that. That's confident cooking, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you tasted my crackers. I'm not the best. So, but Please, I can, these are the I best can, crackers I've had in okay, a while. Okay, I was going to say, I, yeah. I can cook to what I my palate sometimes. Well, you do well. What was the show called that he did? Because I don't think I wrote that one down. Uh, it's called Quarantine Kitchen. Okay. Uh, yeah, he, he filmed it on like an iPhone, live streamed it on an iPhone, and he would just uh, hang out in his kitchen and just talk to the camera directly, sometimes read comments. Yeah, he'd make, he, they usually make like a cocktail and then make the dinner. And like, yeah, I, I spent a lot of pandemic nights just in my kitchen cleaning or cooking. And like, I always had this ledge that I'd put my phone on and I could just watch and, do stuff, yeah. I was, watched a lot of Alton Brown during COVID. Wow. Well, that's good, though. I feel like he's the perfect type of person to get you through that. Because he does have the... I mean, as much as he's playing a character, he's an infectious personality, right? Mm. Like, there's one thing. I don't find him unlikable. Like, he's he's just sort of like, hmm. Just kind of like watching this guy skitter around and just <laughs> saying things. <laughs> he's very, very, very loquacious. Uh, so... He also joined uh, the Nerdist Podcast Network with his own podcast called The Alton Brown Cast, which covered food news, men's style, music, and other topics. You guys listen to The Alton Brown Cast? I don't. I was unable to find any. I think I clicked on his website and they weren't linked up. So it must have been a limited <clears throat> run then, huh? Yeah, but I do believe he's kicking off a new podcast. I thought uh, I read somewhere that was in the works. So oh. stay tuned. Interesting. Yeah, it looks like, well, yeah, there's podcast archives for the Alton Browncast, but it looks like it didn't even get past like 68 episodes. But, yeah, as far as a new podcast, he it sounds like it started getting talked about end of last year, but no news on it yet. Mm. No further news. I'm sure we'll hear about it sooner than later. So after doing uh, the quarantine podcast, uh, he now lives in Georgia, divorced in 2015. So they did live together, no longer together. And he has one daughter who was born in 1999. And so Alton Brown continues on today doing a whole bunch of different things, right? Like still doing Cutthroat Kitchen. <laughs> yeah, making his own, uh, yeah, keeping his website alive, adding video clips. Uh, probably work, you know, I think he's working on different projects. And I can imagine he might. You know, kind of like with Good Eats, maybe find the next niche, you know, that people uh, are, are would need or progressing to. Hmm. Well, he also did tours, and we, uh, my wife and I almost went to one. We just couldn't make the times work, and apparently he's not doing those anymore, but who knows? A lot of people say they're not touring anymore. Yeah, right. I'm sorry. Cutthroat Kitchen did end in 2017. It didn't have an end date listed, but then when you read further, it says it's over. <laughs> mm-hmm. But all these shows I feel on the cooking channel can come back. Oh, yeah. It's I not mean, like, you know, there's plot. <laughs> rebooting any of these shows, I think, is something that could be easily done. We talked a little bit about Pantry Raid, but that was a series of one uh, once-a-week shorts that were usually released on Fridays or Saturdays, talking about palatable foods while staying safe at home. So another of his quarantine shows. Is that right? Yeah, that's where I picked up some stuff and still still comes up on my uh, feed, YouTube feed. Mm. I think it was either him or uh, it was the home home kitchen guy. 
I think it's just Home Kitchen Guy, but uh, they had a pantry episode where they showed you how to just make crackers like that from scratch, mm-hmm. which was really easy to do. It was like cheese crackers, and I don't know. I just love anything where it's like this is stuff you probably have in your house, and you can make that. And um, you talked about Good Eats and having it 16 seasons and having longevity. I was just thinking about something we didn't mention was he did Good Eats Reloaded. Mm. Which he took his episodes, and it's pretty much him watching them and being like, eh, "That's actually not what I think about cooking anymore. That's not what I. That's not how I do it now. This is how I do it now." And then he'll redo it, and I think that's kind of a cool concept. I think he should come out with another season of that. That'd be great. He could do like the podcast that the It's Always Sunny guys do, where he's like they yes. watch the episodes and then they do a talk back about like, "Oh yeah, here's what we were thinking at the time, or here's how this came together." Yeah, that actually would be really good because I believe like him and uh, uh, Gia, I forget her name, uh, were let go by the podcast and they doubled down on Bobby Flay. And so Elton kind of, you know, that's a good suggestion. He could produce it himself and do that. Perhaps this is a good segue for our coulda, woulda, shoulda segment to talk about things he could be doing or maybe should have done at the time. Um. I guess, yeah, so, I mean, doing another type of Good Eats, like, Reloaded, if he continues to do something like that, would be a fun idea. But are there any other types of shows that maybe he could be exploring based on his personality or things he has done? You know what I find entertaining is mm-hmm. uh, even when he he would he was on tour, and then he would film himself getting local food and eating it mm-hmm. and critiquing it. And it's almost like... And I don't watch people. I mean, I watch some people eating, like Keith eats the menu or whatever. I'll watch that. Or Good Mythical Morning. I'll watch those guys eat stuff. But I would like to see Elton Brown, like, eat stuff and critique it. Because then I believe him. And then maybe I'd go to that restaurant. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if there's, like, like just him eating something. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I don't know. Maybe that's why it's, like, it's so interesting, too, to think about the fact that on these shows we talked about, he's rarely the person taste testing he's got right he's bringing people in as we were talked about like to do the taste testing because he doesn't see himself as a critic but it seems like he's got opinions mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah yeah i would love if he did a marie kondo queer eye style show for people like me who like got some cooking talent but struggle with like keeping an organized fridge uh, thinking of good meals for two people. Like, I do a lot of overcooking, and I'll admit I do too much waste with my food. I want to be better about that. When you watch Good Eats, the thing I'm the most jealous about is how he organizes his fridge and how he uses everything from his food. Yeah. And, like, I don't know if you guys ever watched that with cooking shows. They're like, oh, and you want to save this because you'll be able to make a great that. And this part of this, like, especially with, like, a whole chicken. That was always like a that's thing I've done a few times in my life that I'm very proud of is making a whole chicken. All right, I'm gonna make stock from the bones and I'm gonna make a soup with that. Um, I'm also gonna have a meal of roast chicken and then I'm gonna make like chicken enchiladas one night and then this one night. Yeah, like really just using it all. And I just think I love him going to like someone's house and kind of giving them like a like a good eats makeover. Yeah. And I would also love him. You mentioned him critiquing food. I'd love him to go to like different frat houses or something or uh, sorority houses and they have to cook something 
like with what they have in their big house of all these college kids. Yeah, like here they got a bottle of ketchup. Here's some <laughs> taco seasoning. Here's a box of saltines. What can you make? Hey, guess what? Got something similar already. I like that idea a lot. I do like the idea of him doing a podcast, not necessarily doing it on Good Eats, but um, I like the idea of maybe him doing some more of the educational piece because I think there is just still such a vacuum for that outside of like books. I mean, I, there's live food podcasts, there's book pod, or you know, books that you can read about, you know, food history and all that. But I think it would be great to hear him talking to some of these chefs just about what they know about like certain dishes or like, you know, if he wanted to bring an emerald on and talk to them about Italian food or something like that. Right. Like I think there could be some value and I think he'd be a very entertaining host in the way that Fred and I are. <laughs> get him in like David Chang in a room. Yeah. I'd be pretty happy with that. That would be a lot of fun. Yeah. That was going to be kind of like, I was going to pitch a sitcom where oh. there's these two podcasters, you know, and they struggle. We're listening. Yeah. They struggle with uh, what topic maybe to come up or maybe We're there's listening. a relationship. But they have a guru guy where they go to eat each day. Mm-hmm. And this guru person maybe is making some crazy rig to do some type of cooking. And then maybe he gives good advice to these two podcasters. Mr. Volmer, are you trying to seduce us? Yeah. Uh, I, like I, I, almost, I almost wrote the script, but then um, I was like, oh, I better make crackers. <laughs> <laughs> No, I like that. Like, Tom and I have our podcast sitcom, and he's kind of like the Jerry Stiller of the show or something like that. <laughs> the Jerry Stiller or the uh, Wilson, you know, who used to be on Home Improvement, <laughs> you know, that, that guru person where you just like, I'm having a bad day. My podcast friend uh, can't see eye to eye to me. <laughs> Here, enjoy this microwave uh, pot pie, you know. <laughs> this is the best pot pie I've ever eaten. <laughs> I do like the idea of that. I mean, it's it's fun idea. I just love the idea of like again, food kind of bringing people together. There's something kind of wholesome. There's something kind of heartwarming about the way you prepare food. I think that's why even just Food Network is such a comfort like background thing to watch, right? Because you have a show like Good Eats, or you have a Top Chef or something where you can be like, hmm, you know, pop this on, you know, and you have a conversation with somebody, but then you get lost when you don't really have anything to say, and you're watching it, and you're like. Oh, yeah. Wow, that's really impressive what they're doing. But, yeah, having a guy like him on and being kind of like a guru or just sort of used to like your, your problem solver, I could see it. Can well, you guys see in an alternate universe, like if there wasn't sports, where you would maybe just like get together with a bunch of lemonades and then you'd watch a cooking show and then critique it? Like, is that like a... <laughs> that sounds like what like, I want my life to be. Yeah, it was like... Sports, get that out of here. Yeah, Put on like, Jack Papon. Yeah, let's yeah, let's not be mad at each other for losing a meaningless <laughs> game. Let's like... Oh. oh my God, do you see how fast he cooked that onion? How do you which, do that? Which is how I watch the shows. I'm like with my wife, I'm just like, that's going to be raw. That chicken's going to be raw. <laughs> and what then are you doing? It's raw. I'm like, told him. I told him it was raw. You got to brine that first. <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> I love it. I love the idea. See, that is a sitcom I want to see. <laughs> it's like... A alternate history where like sports are not popular, but people fucking love cooking mm-hmm. competitions. 
Yeah. Like they pack arenas and stuff. Emeril Agazi, you know, he got traded to a new kitchen. He came out, he slipped on a banana in the first five minutes. <laughs> and he was out for the rest of the season. <laughs> Bam. Wow. Well, oh, man, I had him drafted first in my fantasy <laughs> chefs. <laughs> now, funnily enough, Fred and I do fantasy Great British Bake Off, and that does add oh, a right. little bit of extra I had, zest to I it. I had no idea. Oh, when they had the season with uh, Giuseppe. And uh, Jurgen, oh, what a season! That was that was like coming right out of the pandemic too. It was like perfect timing. Mm-hmm. Oh. You've never lived until you've been in a room that's like dead silent, and then Paul Hollywood goes for a handshake, and everyone goes nuts. <laughs> <laughs> I would, you know, because they tried to do Great British Bake Off or the Great American Bake Off, right? And it like didn't hit in the same way because people were like not helpful i feel like if you did have a host that was like alton brown like working opposite like a paul hollywood or something like that or if he was like the paul hollywood i could de- i could very much get down with that mm-hmm. maybe he can't be the judge but he could be like the the knoll or the something like mm-hmm. yeah i think that'd be fun yeah. try I it got again. one more left field woulda shoulda coulda and i want to run this past you guys yeah uh jeopardy host uh, he'd be a good Jeopardy. I think he'd be very good. Yeah, he kind of presents that knowledge, mm-hmm. uh, yet you know uh, might make it tense, you know, in the environment. Mm-hmm. Or Wheel know, of Fortune. Or, well, that's I right. That's that. he'd be no. better than Seacrest. I don't feel like he's got the right. <laughs> I don't know. He's too. He's too like talk radio. I don't think he knows all the vowels. <laughs> he's gonna struggle so bad in the first going. <laughs> Be like, you have an A? Oh shit! Wait, no X. Sorry. All right. <laughs> Sometimes Y. What the hell does that mean? <laughs> Another coulda, woulda, shoulda. Like, I really like those like renovation kitchen shows where they're like mm. we're gonna bring back this kitchen up to snuff. I'd like him to go in and redo the kitchen from the menu. Because that thing needs some cleaning after what happened there. I think he could come in and really do a work. That was a messy conclusion. (laughs) A movie that I was very sad did not get more love than it did Mm because I I enjoyed the heck out of it. Uh, I'd love a sequel with Alton Brown. (laughs) Oh, God. I don't even know how you do that unless you have Anya Taylor-Joy end up in a spoiler alert. Uh, cutthroat Kitchen. <laughs> yeah, bad okay, Cutthroat Kitchen, but it's really cutthroat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I definitely like the idea, though, of putting him in scenarios where he can be a little bit more. Because it does. he just does have like that. It's it's more than your average person you'll see on Food Network. And I feel like a lot of people can be sort of low energy. And I mean, like, he just brings a lot more to the table. He is like a sports commentator. I think that was such a good analogy, too, to even bring that up. So I think that does get us to the power rankings segment of this episode, guys. And for this week's power rankings, we are going to rank our... Well, I think we have to do two rankings. First, we'll rank Alton Brown's top three moments or his episodes for many of the shows that he's done. Or podcasts or books, if you would like to rank those as well. And then I think we got to rank these crackers we just tasted. <laughs> and Scott, we're not going to make you feel bad because that still means that one of them was really, really good. And they're all good. Let me yeah. just get that out of the way. <laughs> but would you like to kick us off on your Alton Brown episode slash moments? Um, I, I got to go back where I rediscovered him. I got to go with the quarantine kitchen. Mm. Uh, and I recall a grilling episode where he did outside and he ran out of light. And I think his 
you know, there was something going on in the parking lot. Mm-hmm. I was just entertaining, but it's like, oh yeah, that's how I cook, you know? Like, <laughs> uh, so that, that would be like a top one. And then, uh, I recall a long time ago and he's abandoned this uh, recently, but he had a rice, a way to cook rice, but it was like baking it where you just add boiling water and then baked it. Interesting. And like that rice to me turned out perfect you know and i would use that on stir fries for a week so you've made the recipe yeah wow yeah and i know now he suggests something else on the pan and you know but i remember baking that rice and being like it's a big quantity but it it came out fluffier than the other uh way i can remember and then i i just gotta throw out uh maybe his uh uh like a stephen colbert appearance uh where he i think brought out this machine and i it was like I don't know what it all did, but it was just like entertaining and crazy. And it was just, it's fun to watch that. So those are three memorable ones, but you know, that I can think of right now. I like it. Yeah. Those are very good. Fred, what about you? Uh, I'm going to go with really random stuff because like I said, I usually watch him to learn things. One thing for me, learned how to boil an egg recently watching. Mm -hmm. I'm going to put that in my top three moments. And I'll just say quickly what he does, because it's quick. He puts the egg in the plain, you know, water not hot, puts it on the stove, gets it boiling. Once the water's boiling, covers it, takes it off heat, lets it sit for 15 minutes, then puts it in ice. Ooh. And he says perfect eggs. He also mentions that if you ru- put a rubber band around your carton of eggs and put it in your fridge sideways and let it sit for at least, you know, overnight or whatever you'll have, like, much better hard-boiled eggs. Interesting. Yes, yes. Um, Another moment that I really, really like is he created a, like, a meat dehydrator with a house filter and a box fan. Hmm. And I just thought that was super cool. And I was also a little scared because I was like, what's in that filter? Is there anything chemical-like based? I don't know, (laughs) but... uh, and then I got to say, it's another instructional moment. And I'll say before I say that, that I recommend if people are kind of like, I don't know if this shows for me, if you're ever in a spot and you're like, I want to cook a pot roast or I want to cook a baked chicken, like a very basic thing, type in that thing plus Good Eats. There's probably a whole episode about it and yeah. it's very helpful. And I'd say my, one of my favorite things they did on that was show a diagram of a steer and point out where all the different uh, steak cuts come from. And I really did find it interesting, like, you know, that the steaks more towards the center are more tender because they don't get worked out as much by, like, the legs and the arm. Right. The meat closer to the legs and the arm, sorry for our, like, vegan vegetarian audiences, that meat is going to be tougher but have more flavor. And just, like, stuff like that is, like, stuff it does, I do kind of forget it and I have to, like, go back. But, like, that's that's what I'm looking for in a cooking show is, like, information where I can go to the grocery store. I can have better knowledge of the ingredients that I'm cooking with and I can just feel better about what I'm buying. Yeah. No, I think that's definitely a good call, too, because I feel like it is a very accessible, all of his instructionals. Whenever he's telling you how to do something, like, it's very easy to respond to. Like, you just are like, okay, I think I kind of get it now. It seems like an everyman. Um, I, I mean, I haven't had as far as exposure as you guys have had. So I think the couple things that I saw that were really interesting 
One, I mean, we watched this episode on uh, him like talking about butter, and he went to like an actual like butter facility back in like 2000. And honestly, it wasn't even about like the butter. It was the way he filmed this thing. It was just very like real time footage. You could hear the buzzers and everything in the background, like this, trying to talk to this guy in an office that clearly was not like a secluded office. <laughs> just as somebody who has like a film background, like I'm just like appreciated the fact that this guy was kind of busting it and like going out and really doing the work rather than just kind of like having a, a crew go out there and get all this stuff for him. Like you could see he was there and like directing and trying to get it. And I was just like, man, he, he had a passion. I think that's really what helped me like understand like oh he really wanted to do this so it was just a, it was a cool to see how rough it was for a show that or an episode that was back in like 2000 2001 i uh was watching a more recent good eats well just more later in the seasons and he's also a movie nerd but he's most most of the time the worst kind of movie nerd where he's gonna have like a casablanca reference yeah but there was an episode and i'll put this i'll put this as my number four uh, where he does a seven reference, but it's super low key. He does the scene where Morgan Freeman walks into the library after hours and the mm. guards are in the upstairs and he's like, Hey, how's it going? You working late? He does that in a grocery store and it's just like super subtle. And I'm like, <laughs> you doing a seven reference on good eats right now. Well, there is the, uh, gluttony sin. So. <laughs> <laughs> But it's also good eats. It is. Um, you know, I'll give you I'll give you that one, Fred, as my second one because I don't know if I have three big ones, but I'll go for my last one. He did an episode on Punch that really I thought was yes. super good. Uh, such an interesting history about Punch, and he basically was just throwing shade at cocktails. It was like this was impatient Americans who couldn't wait to make good punch, and but one of the things he did in the episode was he's like, you need one big thing of ice, and I'm like, how do you do that? He filled up a water balloon and he put it in the freezer. And then the next day he like cut off the rubber of the balloon. So he had a big like egg of ice. And I was like, holy shit. Like just thinking outside the box and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. He is just such a, I don't even know where he gets half his tips or if he's just fucks around like all over the house. I think another attraction, like I, I sometimes I would call myself a food tinkerer and like he fits that bill. Like what you said, just maybe tinkers around Mm -hmm. and like, oh. A balloon would hold water, right? Kind of like an Al Borland type. Ah, I, I couldn't. I I literally couldn't think of uh, Tim Allen's character's <laughs> name, which I think is Tim. I don't think so, Fred. <laughs> it's not. <laughs> it's like it successful Tim the Toolman Taylor, but with food. Right. Yeah, you just said it, Tim Taylor. <laughs> yeah, there, I got it that time. I, I do I do like it though I think and I appreciate that he came up with life hacks and didn't call them life hacks because that term is really cringy to me. <laughs> and I think we have some crackers to rank then as well. I know we're asking a lot of you, Scott, to start the rankings, but you know everybody's your own worst critic when you're a cook. So what did you think? Uh, I have to go by uh, like pride, I think, versus taste. So. Uh, well, and taste. So I go top was the smoky hot barbecue. Ooh. I don't know. That got my my sweats going a little. And <laughs> uh, I was really proud of like just looking in my fridge and grabbing that one. Mm-hmm. And then the next, I am going the hot the hot wing sauce one or the, mm-hmm. uh, the butter and hot sauce one. Because I think that has potential, but it's light. You can eat a lot of them, you know, and mm-hmm. they're they're flavorful. Uh, and then last would be the Old Bay. I, uh, 
uh, just uh, just uh, nothing to knock it. I was just like, oh, you know, I'd, I'd eat the other two first. Yeah. All right. Fred, I suspect what your number one's going to be, but let's hear it from you. Number one is Old Bay because <laughs> it's delicious. Well, no, I'm going to be honest. I got to say the barbecue, the spicy barbecue was really good. And that's going to be my number one as much as I'd like to put Old Bay at number one because it's always number one in my heart. But <laughs> then I would do Old Bay and then I would do the, the third, the butter. The hot. Yeah, the hot. I call it or the, the, yeah, hot, the hot wing. wing yeah. Yeah. I think I'll agree with Fred on that, actually. And I just, I think I need to taste another one of the hot wing ones yet. And I know there's still a couple left, so I might be trying them out and maybe I'll change my opinion. But then number two, definitely the Old Bay. And then number one is that hey, hot barbecue. He crushed it, man. Mm. That was really I am tasty. so excited about the Old Bay because that, uh, that was just a, also a Hail Mary. Yeah. You know, and I... And it I, tastes like Old Bay. It mm. tastes more like Old Bay than some of those Old Bay chips you get at the store. Oh. Yeah, I had the ratatouille moment when I ate that. I was a little boy by the And coast. I just love that you ate it, like, out of order, and you're like, you, you, you know, made me happy. Like, this is Old Bay. And I'm like, <laughs> yes, you knew it. <laughs> yeah, they'll, they'll, if Old Bay is ever illegal, they'll hire me at the airport to, like, smell people's bags and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> So I think that gets us to the end of our episode here, guys. Um, Scott, we really appreciate you coming on. Is there anything you would like to plug, though, at this time? I think uh, just, uh, and I think it's been said before, I, you know, just come out to the Interchange Theater, look for Team Tina. Yeah. Uh, you know, I might, I might be there. You might see me. Uh, I am in a different town now, so I'm kind of, do I create, I was so excited to come back to this. I've lacked creativity stuff, so... I don't know. Is there's, I don't know. But anyway, I need to get more creative again. Yeah, get that Sheboygan improv scene. I though. know. Yeah. I know. Or you guys all just have to move there. Yeah. <laughs> well, maybe we come up for a visit. There's a really good. Uh, speaking of food, there's a, definitely a meat shop up there that my dad Ooh. has turned me on to called Meatsfelts, and it is real good. Yeah, we want to do a trip up there with the doggy and like go to like a, go to like Col Andre and then go to Sheboygan for dinner or something. Yeah, it's a destination place with Kohler, you know, so there's a lot of good uh, restaurants, Italian, and yeah, Miesfelds, I'm I'm there quite a bit. Yeah, it's worth it. Scott's going to plug Sheboygan, and I'm here, and I'm kind of <laughs> here for it, because I do like Sheboygan a lot. It's an hour away. It's fun. Uh, Fred, what about you? Anything you want to plug? I don't have anything to plug. I'll just plug the podcast. I think we have a lot of exciting stuff coming up, and I'm going to let you talk about it. Yeah, and actually I am going to plug, instead of my my usual stuff, I mean, obviously you can rate and review this podcast. Please share it with others. You know, Write us a review if you have some time. We really want to hear from you guys if you enjoy it. You can reach out to us at stateofthefranchisepodcast at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Threads, uh, at State of the Franchise with Fred and Tom. And, uh, you know, we also have uh, a lot of fun stuff coming up. Um, some big reveals coming out soon. I don't know if I'll call them reveals. They're just fun surprises. Uh, but we, we are coming up on some some anniversaries. And uh, we're happy to share those with you. Actually, next month is going to be our first theme month. We are doing a Devotion to Spooky Season. Do we have a name for this, Fred? <laughs> I think last what was the last one called? Yeah, scare of the franchise. Damn, that was that's good. <laughs> um, 
scream of the Frankenstein. <laughs> you know what? Doesn't suck. Doesn't suck. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so you'll definitely be able to enjoy some fun stuff coming up. Because uh, for next time, we'll be talking about the Scream movie franchise. So lots of fun coming up there. And, uh, well, I'll just take the time here again to say thank you again, Scott, for joining us for another podcast. We're always excited to have you on here. 100% fun. Yeah. And we'll see y'all next time. Got no cares, cause all I want to do is charge my phone and drive with an interview. And work and talk to you about will always be.